Hello and welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s. I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. Remember, we're not professional music critics or podcasters. We're just paging Dr. Beat for help and talking about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Joe, welcome. Welcome to you. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. (laughs) Would also like to welcome any new listeners and some loyal listeners. We found some in Umacao, Puerto Rico, Ensenada, Baja California, Mexico, and Caracas, Venezuela. Hola. Hola. Check out our Facebook, facebook.com slash HRT80S, and our Twitter at HRT80S. Joe, we have Mm -hmm. some exciting tidbits today, including a very exciting one from you. (laughs) Yeah, we've been waiting to talk about this, Carrie, but I got the chance to see Glenn Tilbrook of Squeeze in concert a couple Fridays ago. And it was a great show. I don't think I told you even anything about it, did I? No, I don't think you did. And I can't wait. I've been holding it all in. Well, my sister went too. And she was the first to point out to me that he performed all the songs from that Squeeze singles compilation that we listen to all the time. Except for, of course, Cool for Cats. Because he doesn't sing on that one. Very true. But every other song he performed, as well as some other covers... There was a cover of a song I'd never heard of called My Boy Lollipop. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. I asked my sister, I'm like, so that was odd. The lyrics to that, were you listening? And she's like, oh, that's a famous rockabilly song. Isn't that the song from um, Stand By Me? No, that's just Lollipop. This is different. Same gist, though. Okay. Okay. But he did great nonstop. He was singing and playing guitar. It was just him and a guitar. Just him and a guitar. That's amazing. I didn't even look at my phone for a second. I was enthralled the entire time and he sounded great. He wasn't meeting people afterwards. There were a few people to get autographs and the guy was like, he's not coming on here, guys. Well, I mean, he must be exhausted after performing all by himself and carrying a show. I didn't realize that it was literally just him. That's nuts. Wow. They didn't really give you the details beforehand. I mean, I Mm -hmm. guess sometimes you can tell when you're (laughs) buying concert tickets, like an evening of so-and-so and and their guitar. And then you're like, okay, well, it's going to be just (laughs) just that, right? Yeah. I kind of could glean from the pictures they used in the press, but either way, he sounded great. Zero complaints, and I'd say four and a half out of five stars. Wow. What a review. I'm very jealous. You know, we talked about when I saw Squeeze opening for Hollow Notes, and, you know, that was Squeeze. That was him and Chris Difford and a backing band. So I would love to see him in this kind of show. That would be wonderful. So happy you did. Yep. I'm so glad I got to see him. And then speaking of, did you just say Hollow Notes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl Hall is coming to St. Louis in Mm -hmm. December with opener Todd Rundgren. I decided this weekend I am going to go see that show. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, I saw that announced. I think he's coming to Milwaukee as well. I'm not going to see that show. But that brings to mind there are a couple shows that have been announced for the Milwaukee area recently that I have been toying around with in my mind, whether I want to see them or not. One of which is Morrissey, which, of course, everyone that's listened Mm -hmm. to the podcast knows I love The Smiths. And I enjoy Morrissey's music, but I'm kind of struggling a little bit about whether I want to give my money Money. to Morrissey as a business, I guess is Mm -hmm. what you would call it. 
And then John Mellencamp was just announced as well for April. That's not till next year. And I was kind of thinking with myself, would John Mellencamp be worth seeing like once? I don't know. I don't think I like John Mellencamp enough to spend close to $100 or something like that. I'm going to bite my tongue. Yeah, I know. I thought about that, too. <laughs> I was like, well, Joe definitely wouldn't even have any thought about seeing John Mellencamp. No. Well, what is it about the Daryl Hall by himself? Are you in Oats? When I saw Hall and Oats, he didn't come across charismatic to me. I mean, the music is great. I love Hall and Oats, but that show is just going to be him preening the whole time mm-hmm. and tossing his hair around. And, you know, he was a jerk at the show, like calling out the technical people and stuff like that. Well, I'll go and I'll let you know if he's changed as a person over the last I'm year. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> it's been a year of introspection for many of us. You're right. Maybe Daryl Hall has turned over a new leaf. Well, we have one more quick tidbit. We can't get too deep into this, but I kept seeing these headlines about how Rolling Stone had put out an article counting down the 100 best songs of 1982. So I had to look up the top five and chat about them briefly here. And you're wondering why 1982? Well, according to the intro to the article... It was the year that invented pop music as we know it today, one of the most experimental, innovative, insanely abundant music years ever. Okay? And we should note that this is all according to one critic. You know how usually when they compile lists for Rolling Stone or Pitchfork or some other, they do ballots and all that. But this was just one guy putting together his list. His name's Rob Sheffield. That name might be familiar to you. He's a music journalist that's been writing for years and years. But the top five are number five, Hungry Like a Wolf. Number four, Wolves Lower by R.E.M. That was very exciting to me from their Chronic Town EP. Three was Billie Jean. Two was Little Red Corvette. And number one was The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Joe, what are your reactions to this top five list? I don't like it. <laughs> it's so weird because usually Rob Sheffield's lists I agree with. I feel like mm. we usually have the same opinions about things. And I couldn't even tell you what my top five of 1982 would be. Yeah. Like, I think I would need to see a list of all the songs that were mm-hmm. eligible. But this is not my top five. I don't even know that these would be in my top 50. I should have read more of the introduction. I assume that he is doing this like best meaning cultural value, influential. Like I think that must have something to do with it. I don't think these are his top 100 favorite songs. I say that because this list, it's all influential songs. You know, there's no doubt that, you know, the message by Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five basically is known as the song that birthed hip-hop as we know it today. Right. Well, if the list would have been called 100 Most Influential Songs of 1982, I would probably have a very different opinion about it. You're right. It's so stupid for anyone to call a list best. We should move away (laughs) from making lists like that. Like you were just telling me about Pitchfork. Well, they call it like the top 200 songs, right? Mm -hmm. They just did another one of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be some new way to talk about songs instead of saying best mm-hmm. or top, you know, 200 songs that changed the world and happened to come out in 1982. It's <laughs> a little too I'm trying long. to think, have, how many episodes have we done that have been best? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or top. 
Whoopsie. Change starts from within, Carrie. We don't usually do like best or top Ranking the hits. Well, we make it very clear. These are very subjective things, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, that's it. Any other quick tidbits you need to throw in there, Joe? Yes. Oh, boy. Whenever we watch 80s movies that maybe we haven't seen Mm -hmm. or haven't seen in a very long time, you know, we tell each other, oh, this song was in it or that song was in it. So I watched Trading Places last night. No. What is it called? Places or Spaces? Places. (laughs) Damn you, TLC, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's got a lot that needs to not be in it. I'm not talking about music right now. I'm just talking about the content and many scenes that, oh, oh, boy. And the crazy thing is, I don't know why I watched this so much as an eight-year-old. I didn't understand commodities trading then. (laughs) I think I understand even less now. I had to Google, why is this happening? Yeah. (laughs) But there was one great party scene, which was hilarious. The song everyone was dancing to was Sylvester's Do You Want a Funk? Oh, wow. Love that. Don't you love that? That was like a big budget comedy, right? Mm -hmm. That was very successful. And think of all the millions of people who listened to that song. Yes. Maybe for the first time. Such a good song. There's something to be said about even bad movies. If they're introducing good music to people, I guess there's something redemptive about them. (laughs) I've never seen Trading Places I think you're going to have to watch it. I don't think I am going to have to. (laughs) I think so. You know what? I don't think I particularly felt this way in the 80s, but for some reason, I've really soured on Dan Aykroyd over the years. I have a hard time watching things with him in it, and I have no idea why. It's not anything that I know about him personally or anything like that. I think he just plays the same character over and over again is maybe what it is, and I'm sick of it. That's what I think, too, about him, but he's different in this one. All right, well, maybe I'll check it out. Who knows? I haven't watched any 80s movies lately, except did we ever talk about when I watched Risky Business? I finally <gasps> I don't think so, Risky yeah. Risky Business. There's not much to report from my viewing of Risky Business. The thing I texted to Joe afterwards was, I can't believe you've watched this movie more than once. So there's I my love opinion it. of it. Yeah. Ugh, moving on. We have to get to our main theme this week, and it is Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes. Hispanic Heritage Month is actually celebrated from September 15th through October 15th here in the States every year. It's intended to recognize the histories, cultures, and contributions of American citizens whose ancestors come from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. We're going to talk about some famous Hispanic 80s acts, but we're going to start by talking about a relevant Billboard chart. Billboard debuted a new chart on September 6, 1986, called the Hot Latin 50. This chart was an airplay chart and was created each week based on reported playlists from 70 Spanish language stations in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Each station was asked to report their playlists along with ads for the week, and point values were assigned to each playlist position and weighted by the station's influence. That's very interesting. I Mm -hmm. never realized that before, that some of these airplay charts would give more credence to like a bigger station in, say, Miami. It makes sense. Yeah, that's true. The very first number one on the chart was La Guirnalda by Rocia Dulca. And please forgive all of our pronunciations. We're doing our best. 
Billboard didn't actually start printing the chart in its weekly issues until a month later on October 4th, 1986, and the song Yo No Se Que Me Paso by Juan Gabriel was in its fourth and final week at the top of that first printed chart. Juan Gabriel was born in Mexico in 1950 and worked as a backing vocalist in Mexico City in the early 70s, but he left that role to return to singing in bars because he can make more money that way. He eventually signed his own recording contract and released 19 albums between 1971 and 1986. Yo No Se Que Mi Paso, written and produced by Gabriel himself, is from his 20th studio album, From 1986 to 1994, he refused to record any new material because of a dispute with his record label, but he continued to tour and sell out stadiums. He is recognized as one of Latin America's best-selling singer-songwriters, and Yo No Se Que Mi Paso was the first of seven songs to reach number one on the Latin chart. Gabriel passed away from a heart attack in 2016. So this song, I don't speak Spanish, I don't understand Spanish, so I did not understand what the lyrics were talking about, but I will say that I could understand the passion and the emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This gentleman was very good at portraying that. It was moving, even though I didn't know what was being said. I had the same feeling. I think I've mentioned before where sometimes I'll put on the playlist for the podcast and my Sonos will be on repeat track on accident. Yeah. And so that happened with this playlist, and this was the first song, and it started over, and it was like the first time I was ever like, I'm going to just let it play again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. The vocals, he sounds so good, Mm -hmm. and there's like an outro with his ad-libs, and he sounds, he sounds insane, but like insane good, you know? Well, I talk a lot about dynamics in songs sometimes, and this is a song that at different points in the song, he's portraying different emotions. He's being very theatrical about it. You know, sometimes you listen to a song and it's like very one note, it's the same thing over and Mm -hmm. over again. This one, he's taking you on a journey. Yeah. I don't know what happened to me is what the title translates Mm -hmm. to. And so that's interesting because, like I said, I don't know the rest of the lyrics. I don't know what the story is, but I would have guessed that the title was like, don't leave me or I love you so much or something like that. I don't know. Maybe he's talking about himself. Mm -hmm. Joe, I want to put you on the spot. I want to ask you, you are of Hispanic origin, correct? That's correct. Yes. (laughs) Did you have Latin Hispanic music playing in your house when you were growing up? No, not any at all. Part of that might have been my mom moved from her big family that was in California. We moved to Missouri. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there weren't radio stations that were playing anything like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know how many times as a child I would just turn the radio dial and hear what would be playing and find out what's a good station to listen to? I don't remember ever, ever, ever hearing anything in Spanish. Never. The only thing, and I think I mentioned it before, is when La Bamba came out, you know, and me and my sister were excited about the music in it. We loved the movie, and that led to mom finding a Richie Valens CD at Best Buy, and we listened to that a lot, and we loved it. Interesting. Okay. 
Well, up next, it's probably the most familiar Hispanic act of the 80s, at least to U.S. audiences, and that's Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine. The Miami Sound Machine started way back in 1975. Emilio Estefan started the group with five other Cuban Americans living in the Miami area. Gloria Garcia, also a Cuban American who had emigrated to the U.S. when she was just two, met Estefan that same year that he started the group. And she agreed to join as a vocalist, but was attending college, so she would only perform on the weekends. And she did continue to attend college, graduating in 1979 after already having married Emilio and releasing several albums with the group. We love a woman with a goal. Mm -hmm. The group released seven Spanish-language albums before signing to Epic in 1984 and releasing their first English-language album, Eyes of Innocence. The first single was Dr. Beat, which reached 17 on the dance chart. It went all the way to number six in the UK, and the band appeared on top of the pops to perform it. Joe, Dr. Beat, it's silly to me. I don't know. I, I have a hard time understanding what was so compelling about it to take it to number six in the UK. I think it's silly, fun. I don't mind it at all. And I'm. you asked me to tell you my favorite Gloria Estefan song of the 80s, I and did. I told you. And, you know, you didn't tell me what yours was. I was going to guess Dr. Beat. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever heard Dr. Beat before this week. Oh. Yeah. I thought about that question, too, and I don't really have an answer for you. It would be one of the ballads. Okay. One of the ballads from later in the decade. It would not be Dr. Beat. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, Carrie, the band's breakthrough in the States happened a couple of years later when the first three singles from their next album reached the top 10 of the Hot 100. One of those, Bad Boy, is my favorite Miami Sound Machine song. It went to number eight on the pop chart and the adult contemporary chart, and was also featured in the movie Three Men and a Baby. Have you watched that one recently? No, that's one I would like to watch again. I just watched it for the first time like a year ago. I'm fairly certain the scene opens with conga as like a party scene. Oh. And then immediately bad boy is maybe in the next scene. Wow. They were all over that movie. Mm-hmm. And the video, Carrie, we maybe talked about before. It's a takeoff of the musical Cats, and it features Gloria dressed up like one. It's pretty weird. 
Yeah, I can't get past that video. I think it sours the song a little bit for me. (laughs) Now, did you know that the version you put on the playlist is different than the single version? No. Oh, yeah. It's way more subdued and just doesn't have the same kind of flash that the reworked one does. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I like Bad Boy just fine. But honestly, if you ask me to think about Gloria Estefan... I think of her now primarily as a balladeer. I think that's certainly where she went when she began her solo career. I'm making air quotes with solo. I feel like you prefer the ballads and I like the dance stuff. Yeah. Because I almost picked one, two, three as my Mm -hmm. favorite song. Like I said, when I think of her, all I think about is that one album from like, I think it's from like 1989 where she's on the cover and she's just got her hair kind of falling down. Yeah. Cuts both ways. Yeah, exactly. I was a let it loose stan. I'm sure you were. We had the tape. I know we did. And I remember one, two, three. I remember loving it so much because at the time there was this Curious George book out. Did you ever read Curious George? This is such a detour. There was one where he had to do a paper route, which is like, you're putting a monkey, like, what's happening, right? <laughs> he folded up all the newspapers and turned them into paper boats and put oh, them in the river. Oh, yes, I remember. And I remember there's a, there was a page that showed you how to fold paper to make paper boats, right? Uh-huh. And I learned it, and I discovered that if you get to the last step, instead of opening up your creation to make it into a boat, If you fold it in half, now you've got a triangle-shaped puppet that you can put your fingers and thumbs in and move their mouth, right? Okay. So I made like 10 to 20 of them, and I put like eyes and (laughs) lips and hair on them, and I would make them lip sync to one, two, three. This is a story. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I can't remember if I ever performed it for my family. We'll have to ask Val. Oh my gosh, Joe. I love that. A great memory. Well, Carrie, I bet you'd think that Miami Sound Machine was blowing up the Latin Hot 50 in the 80s. But remember, that chart was surveying Spanish language stations, and the group only recorded Spanish versions of some of their singles. Words get in the way, and anything for you charted on the Latin chart. But in the summer of 89, the Spanish version of Don't Want to Lose You was the group's first Latin number one. At this point, Gloria was a solo act, although the same band members that had been a part of Miami Sound Machine were backing her. And right now, here's a clip of Si Voy a Perdete, which spent five weeks at the Latin number one. Tengo que ser como soy Aunque te pierda el fin, seré Tendaste amor Nadie dará lo que te doy Por eso hoy, si voy a perderte ya, que sea por vez final. The original English version of the song was Gloria's first to top the Hot 100 as well. And since the 80s, Gloria has continued to have a hugely successful career, even breaking into acting. I think she was in that new Father of the Bride reboot. Oh yeah, she was. She released an album in 2020 called Brazil 305, which is re-recorded versions of old hits with Brazilian rhythms. And here is the new version of Rhythm Is Gonna Get You. So 
Teen Boy Apaderte. <laughs> I really liked it. I'm a big fan of her ballads. I don't know that Don't Want to Lose You is one of my favorites, the English language version, but I really liked this. What can you say? I really like Gloria Estefan's voice, and I think it's perfect for ballads. She has too rich of a voice to be singing dance music, I guess is maybe what I'm trying to say. I see. So she does the ballad so well, it's silly to try to do something else because she's so good at it. Yeah, I think that. Okay. that's kind of my opinion. Yeah, you know, and I don't want to say I don't like the ballads. I've been moved by some of them at certain times. Yeah, but you know, her career is just, it's crazy, the things that she's done and the longevity that she has. And you're right, when they did this new version of Father of the Bride, which was very specifically, you know, from a Hispanic point of view, mm-hmm. you know, the father is Andy Garcia, who are you going to get to play the mom? Gloria Estefan. I mean, she's the icon. I think I'm going to have to watch that. I just thinking of Gloria Estefan and she's just so likable. Yeah. Of course, she would do stuff on screen as well. I mean, I've never heard a bad story about her. She's always doing good things. Yeah. I have a newfound respect for her after this. Yeah. Did you ever watch One Day at a Time? It was on Netflix. Uh, Yeah, I watched the first season. She made some guest appearances in that as a family member of the main family. That's where I remember seeing her most recently. And that's a wonderful show if you've never caught up with that on. I don't know. Is it still on Netflix? Because then it left Netflix and was on a different channel. It was on like Pop TV, was it? Yeah. I mean, what else can you say about Gloria Estefan? This new version of Rhythm is going to get you. I was prepared to be like, this was unnecessary, but I actually liked it a lot. Again, because I listen to the playlist and I don't sometimes see the outline first, I thought you were sending me like a demo version. Oh, really? Yeah, but I also enjoyed it. And in this new context, I think I like it even more. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about a band that you've probably all heard of, but maybe have never actually heard any of their music or know their backstory, and that's Menudo. Just like most of the U.S. boy bands back in the day, Menudo was a Puerto Rican boy band formed by a producer that sought out some young kids to perform his music. The band started in 1977, and the original lineup was two sets of teen brothers. The rumor that when members turned 15, they aged out and were replaced with younger members was true, at least in the early days. Their first big success was in 1981, when only one original member remained. This ninth album from the group launched them into superstardom across Latin America. In the early 80s, the band appeared on their own television show and in movies, Toys and magazines soon followed. Though they enjoyed some popularity in the U.S. starting in 1983 when they appeared in spots featured during Saturday morning programming, the group only hit the Hot 100 once. The song Hold Me peaked at 62 in 1985. That must be how I knew of them, this Saturday morning programming thing, because I never remember hearing them on the radio or seeing a video. I never heard this song until the last couple of years. 
I don't remember seeing them on Saturday morning programming. And I honestly don't remember ever buying these magazines, but I remember seeing them in the stores. Oh, yes. Tiger Team Beat, Beat Tiger or Bop Beat, or whatever. Bop. But they would always be like in the corner, right? Like they'd be yeah. like, and Menudo, because they yeah. weren't like huge, but they were big enough that they would kind of get a little picture on the front cover. Yeah, I didn't Tiger even think Beat. of that. I just went for the Saturday morning spots and thought that has to be how I know them. But you're absolutely right. I can picture it now. Yeah. But hold me, I liked, I was really surprised, you know, bracing myself to listen to a Menudo song, right? Mm-hmm. It's got that 80s synth. It doesn't sound incredibly dated. No, it doesn't. I think it's actually a good song. It had been sung by a boy band out of the US. I think it would have been huge, probably. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. Well, it also reached number 61 on the R&B chart. It came from an album of new English language songs, as well as several songs they had previously recorded in Spanish, which had been translated for re-release. Appearing on this track during his five-year tenure with the band, he was in the band till he was 17, it's Ricky Martin, but that's not him singing lead. It's a singer named Robbie Rosa, who also went on to become a successful solo artist, and he also co-wrote Live in La Vida Loca for Ricky. That's exciting. I like when there's stories like that when boy band members go on to bigger success. I think that's fun. I'm glad for Ricky Martin. But again, he also was at least business friendly with Robbie Rosa. You know, Mm -hmm. usually it's the bands break up and they hate each other. Oh, yeah, that's true. Carrie, now we've talked about Sheila E., the queen of percussion, many times over the years. I think she's been misidentified as primarily of Black descent over the years due to her association with Prince. But while Sheila's mother is of Creole, French, and African descent, her father is Mexican-American. Her Hispanic heritage is obvious in the rest of her last name, which was shortened to just E. E is for Escovito. She comes from a legendary musical family. Her father and uncle were both successful musicians, She recorded with the George Duke Band in the 70s and worked with Herbie Hancock and Marvin Gaye before recording with Prince for the first time on the Purple Rain album. She'd first met Prince way back in 77 and told her then that she would join his band one day. Her debut single, A Glamorous Life, would end up being her biggest hit, reaching number seven on the Hot 100. But let's talk about a single from her second album, which was released in 1985. A Love Bazaar was co-written by Sheila and Prince on the Purple Rain tour while Sheila was appearing as his opening act. The album version is 12 minutes long, but the single version clocks in at 3 minutes and 46 seconds. Sheila says that original version was so long because the beat was so good, it just felt right to let it go. Sheila performed the song in the movie Crush Groove and on Saturday Night Live on November 16, 1985, when Chevy Chase hosted Yuck. A Love Bazaar went to number 12 on the Hot 100, peaked at 2 on the R&B chart, and topped the dance chart. 
Sheila released one more album in the 80s before deciding she didn't like life as a solo act and joined Prince's band to tour with him towards the end of the decade. She's still out there touring and performing to this day, and I just learned that she wrote a biography in 2015, and I immediately requested it from the library. Can't wait to read it. I can't wait to hear you sum it up for me, because I don't read. (laughs) Carrie, I'm going to shame you, though. Didn't you have the opportunity to see her at Summerfest last year? It was either last year or the year before, and I did not go to see her, and I do regret it. I was thinking about that again when I was writing this this week. I was like, oh, Sheila E., should have seen you. I would love to see her live. And I love Bizarre. It's the best. I love this song. Yeah. Did you like the 12-minute version? (laughs) I actually did. (laughs) Yeah. Did you listen to it all? Of course I did. Of course. I loved the Frere Jaca interpolation. Yes. I read that in the Wikipedia, and I didn't remember that. I think it's a great groove. There's lots of songs, especially dance songs, that go on too long and are just too much. But I think she was right when she said this groove was too good. You can listen to it over and over again, and it doesn't get old. I love her. I really do. Yeah, I do too. Well, Carrie, of course, we have to cover the Latin freestyle genre as part of our celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month. This was a particular form of electronic music that primarily grew out of the music scenes in New York City and Philadelphia and was hugely popular with both the Hispanic and Italian-American communities. But it wasn't necessarily limited to Hispanic artists. Let the Music Play by Shannon, a Black artist, is considered the first freestyle song. But the first major freestyle song recorded by a Hispanic artist was Please Don't Go by Naomi. Naomi was a mononym for Naomi Gomez, a singer of Afro-Rican heritage born in Puerto Rico. Please Don't Go was released in late 1984, and it reached number 23 on the dance chart. Naomi would hit the dance chart several more times in the decade, and then she pivoted to R&B music later in the decade with an album produced by Teddy Riley of Guy and Blackstreet. So what did you think of Please Don't Go by Naomi? I kind of had a feeling when I saw the name of it that it was going to be some variation of that song that was popular in the 90s. Please don't go. Don't go. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Who sang that? I don't know. <laughs> KWS? No, I know what you're talking about. Oh, God, it's going to bother me. Well, Casey and the Sunshine Band sang it first. No, you're right. KWS (laughs) It was the 90s version. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. But anyway, that song has nothing to do with this song that we're talking about. (laughs) Sorry. I was like, when you first said that, I was like, wait a second. Does it have something to do with this? And it was like, no, (laughs) it's just the same name. I really enjoyed it and it got me up and moving. Huh. I didn't mind it. I respect and appreciate that it was the first freestyle song by a Hispanic artist, but I didn't find it very special. All I think about are the great freestyle songs that came later by like Expose and some of those groups that, um, oh, I'm going to mention them coming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, 
So yeah, I'm not going to add it to a playlist or anything like that. Yeah, you know, I probably wouldn't either. But I would say so far, I've got like three or four that I would from this episode. Very good. Well, freestyle reached the mainstream in the later 80s. Artists like Exposé, Sweet Sensation, and Pretty Poison are all freestyle groups that had pop hits. Right now, we're going to talk about freestyle one-hit wonders Company B. And that group was formed by Ish Angel Ledesma, who was born in Cuba and immigrated to the U.S. as a child. He hit the charts in the 70s with a band called Foxy and then formed a band in the early 80s called Oxo. Isn't that how Casey says it? Oxo? Yeah, Oxo. That's how I say it. It's spelled O-X-O. And they were also one-hit wonders with the song Whirly Girl. Did you like the song, Carrie? I have to know. I actually used to like it a lot more when I first discovered it, you know, in our renewed 80s love, but I think I'm a little sick of it at this point. It's frenetic. Yes. Did you ever hear, speaking of Casey, him telling the story about how the song was actually Worldly Girl? Exactly. Yep. I do remember that story from Casey. But I guess they couldn't say it quickly or sing it quickly. I'm not sure why they changed it, but I like that it's called Whirly Girl. If you enjoyed the show Laugh-In, if you identified mainly with Joanne Whirly, you could say, I'm a Whirly Girl. <laughs> Feel free to use it. I think I'm a Buzzy Girl. <laughs> oh, buzzy girl. oh, that's going to be your um, response track. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? In my answer song. Also, OXO is a playable word in Scrabble, mm. just in case you ever need that. Okay, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Well, Ish actually wrote that song about his wife, Lori, and Whirly Girl peaked at number 28 on the Hot 100 in 1983. After OXO broke up, Ish stayed behind the boards as producer of Company B, and the group members were a rotating cast of ladies alongside one mainstay, Lori Ledesma. The Whirly Girl. Yep. Ish wrote and produced the group's debut song, Fascinated, which was first released in 1986 on an independent label. And the song was super popular in Miami clubs and got picked up for play on area radio stations. That led to a major label deal, and the song was re-released by Atlantic. at 21 on the Hot 100 and went all the way to number one on the dance chart for four weeks in early 1987. The group hit the dance chart a few more times, but only released one more album before disbanding. Company B has reformed several times over the years, but neither Ledesma has been involved. Oh, that's interesting. What is Company B without a Ledesma? I don't know. You know, one of these other ladies picks up the mantle. I wonder, did they play at that freestyle festival we saw advertised? I don't remember them being on there, Company B being on there, but who knows? There was a lot of people involved in that. 
Mm-hmm. I think we should also mention how much Charlie loves freestyle music. <laughs> yeah, very much. That's why I included the little blurb about it being popular in the Italian-American <laughs> communities. <laughs> We've got a lot of company B songs in the rotation in the attic now, too. So, Oh, we do. I don't know that I've recalled hearing any of the other ones, but Fascinated is a true classic. Absolutely. One of the best of the genre. Yeah. Every time I hear it, I'm impressed by it again. It's kind of funny because it's like, you know, if you were like, okay, let's put together a playlist of 80s dance songs. It doesn't pop into my mind. But when I hear it, I'm always like, oh my gosh, this is just Mm. a great dance song. Three years ago, if you'd said make a playlist, I wouldn't have put it on. But now I'm like, this is going to be on the first spin. Love it. And they just lip synced to it recently on RuPaul's, I think, in like one of the last couple seasons, right? Maybe. The list is getting so long, you know, with all the iterations and everything. Oh, yes. Elliot and Utica, (laughs) season 13, episode nine. Not memorable queens, I don't think. Probably the lip sync itself was not too memorable. (laughs) I remember at the time, you know, it was in the heart of our 80s obsession and just being like, oh, this one. I do like it when it's a good 80s song. For sure. Joe, that's it. Anything else you want to uh, mention? The syndicated American Top 40 from this weekend. Because you listened to the whole thing, correct? I made it. I think I was in the last hour. Well, one exciting thing besides when he played Los Lobos, he talked about other acts that were from East LA, I think is how he described it. Yeah. That hit the Top 40. And it was a very long segment, and it had songs going back all the way to, like, the 50s. I really enjoyed that, and it made me think of another song that I love. Tierra is the band, and the song is Together. I love that one. I know we've at least mentioned Tierra before, because Mm -hmm. you've talked about this. Tierra brought to your mind that song, and how much you like it. We'll have to cover Tierra at some point. Yeah. And then the last thing was, it was in the top 10. It was when Smokey Robinson... He entered the top 10 with one heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And then at like number six was ABC when Smokey sings. Yes. And that's when Casey said, this is the first time we've had two artists in the, whatever the stat was, you know, a song about the person and the person himself is in the top 10. And that was a goosebump moment for me. I love things like that. I really, really do. It's so strange how life happens. Okay, well, we will close it out then. Next week, we're going to revisit Power Pop, talk about some more Power Pop songs from the 80s, one of my favorite genres. So tune in for that. And until then, uh, make sure that you are being kind to others and to animals and to the world. Plants. Yeah, and plants. You always mention plants. They have feelings too. They feel pain. Oh, God, let's not get into it. All right. But most importantly, everyone, remember, be kind to yourself. We're all just doing our best, including you. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.